0: Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit.
1: Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a movie podcast and pop culture adjacent podcast and, uh, we're back. It's been a while since we've recorded, but uh, we're back and we were compelled to because we all kind of saw the same movie at the same time and said we should talk more about this because the people need to know. So yes. I am your host, Ruba Sean, and I'm glad to be joined by a veritable sausage fest <laughs> in this movie <laughs> Podcast in which we're going to be discussing a marital breakup. So this is going to be a, a heavily skewed male perspective, I guess. Uh, I'm joined by Joey Pool, Joey. Hello. Or should I say Infinity Pool? Infinity
2: Pool. I still have not seen the film, though, so I'm not sure if I'm signing off on that uh,
1: nickname yet or not. But... All right. <laughs> and also, we're glad to have back to the show, Todd. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, who saw this first? And 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 because I know I saw Joey's. Uh, Tweet about it And that's what compelled me to do it But who saw it first? Todd saw it initially initially, And then uh, I had
2: slotted it on My box yearly challenge uh, In a
0: category I forget exactly which category It was that director uh, Zalowski I, I actually picked him, uh, for one of the categories because I wanted to watch something else by him and also I wanted to uh, force you to watch it.
2: And Todd um, uh, almost broke up our friendship because I watched it without him. Apparently I didn't pick up on the fact that he wanted to, me to save that one to watch with him. Yeah, uh, But I watched it without him and he got really angry. So I
1: well, guess we're
2: reconciling now. Well that's yeah. good.
1: That's good. Uh, speaking of uh, breakups and reconciling we're talking about 1981's film Possession. Uh, directed by Andre Zalowski, uh, are we in agreement? with is probably it. We really can roll with that. Uh, the film uh, is classified by some as a horror, a body horror, a drama, a not a romance, really. Mm, Anti romance. Anti romance. Uh, it uh, it really is a hard to classify film though because it kind of jumps all over the place. Uh, Joey, I believe you said that you would like to recap for the listeners who have not seen this and by all means uh, spoil it all you want to because it's an old movie and if you haven't seen it yet uh, and you want to uh, it's on Shudder, by the way uh, it's streaming on Shudder and it's a, it's a great stream so I uh, Stop and watch it if you don't want to be spoiled, but Joey, go for it. Give us the recap.
2: So Possession follows the disintegration of a marriage between an international spy played by Sam Neill. His name is Mark and his wife, Anna. Uh, And it uh, spirals out of control from there. He begins to suspect that she's cheating on him. She is. Uh, but as he hires someone to follow her, turns out that she's into a lot more than we initially suspected. It descends into supernatural body horror and uh, ends on kind of like an omen-esque note almost. Um, so there's the, uh, I think, the thumbnail synopsis.
1: Oh yeah, there, there are a lot more layers to pull back, which we will get into some of those details as we move, move along, but uh, I think that, pretty much hits it uh we're talking cold war era uh east uh i'm sorry west berlin mm-hmm. we're right on the wall uh, as kind of our set piece uh all of the apartments just happen to be right there at the uh, at the at the center
2: i read that today yeah i think that was purposely done oh, absolutely uh
1: several of the elements of the film uh symbolically speak to um the division of germany and the backdrop of Cold War threat,
0: uh, and quite literally, as uh, the Sam Neill character Mark is actually a spy, right? Um, as we see in one scene, who's trying to retire to save his family.
2: I want to talk about that aspect of it later too, because that's one. As on my rewatch today, that's another aspect of the film that remains remains a little bit obtuse for me. Is exactly what sort of international intrigues going on. And the man with the pink socks and all that. I'm getting ahead of ourselves, obviously, but...
1: Yeah, but I, I I think it speaks to the the bigger picture of the film, and that is there's so much ambiguity on the detail side of things mm-hmm. where you just kind of have to go along for the ride and accept these things as what they are so you can kind of keep up with what's going on. The plot itself is all over the map. The things that happen in this one film are, are, are ridiculous in terms of... You know, Samuel, yes, coming back from being a spy, he comes home. Uh, his wife, by the way, played by Isabel Ajani. Uh She was in uh, Nosferatu, the vampire, uh, in the 70s. She was also in Ishtar. Sorry, but she was. <laughs> um, but she was uh, Academy Award nominated uh, in 75 for a film. I believe she got the Best Actress Award uh, in cons for this film. So, very celebrated, beautiful actress. You are thrust into this turmoil from the from the get-go. He comes home, and she's like, I want a divorce. He thinks she's sleeping with another man. She insists she's not. They fight. And you're just like, what the fuck's going on here? And then he leaves. He comes back. The son is left alone and neglected in the apartment. This is... Uh, let me stop you right
2: there for a second. Uh, apparently, this is... Uh... A somewhat autobiographical element of it. it that started the film. Apparently, Zulowski uh, was married to an actress. I wrote her name down: um, Mogorzata Bronick. I'm not familiar with her. Uh, was married to him married to her for a while, and he returned. I'm not sure if he was off on a three-week bender like the character in the film is, but he returned to the apartment to find their five-year-old son smeared in jam. Uh, much like the, the the scene in in the film, and then that sort of ended was the beginning of the end, I guess of their uh,
1: of their marriage. Their son Bob, which I thought was an interesting mm-hmm. name for a yeah. character, an interestingly
0: uh, bland character or a name for a bland character, because yeah, Bob really is pretty did. much just a, a chess or a a, a, a pawn. He was this, a pawn, uh, yeah, um,
1: very much so. Um, by the way, I've opened a beer that you've heard on, and it's Edmunds Oast uh, down in. Uh, North Charleston, I believe it's called. What was was that called, Todd? A bird of paradise or something? Uh, A sunkissed. Sunkissed. It's got a bird on the label. We're Mm -hmm. having beautiful weather here in sunny South Carolina. There's not a cloud in the sky. It is March third. That's the date. March third, something like that. Fourth. The date of the recording, and uh, it's warm as can be. And so I figured this would be good. This is a tart wheat ale, but not too tart. I like it. I'm not a big sour guy uh, mm. generally, but sweetened with a special kind of orange, it's very nice. I like that. Uh, kind of reminds me of a wit beer,
0: yeah. But Bob's kind of a, a, a pawn here, yeah. he doesn't get a lot of lines. Uh, we don't see him doing much except being covered in uh, je- you know, whatever debris he was covered in. He's in the bath a few times, including a key scene at the end. Um, and they fight about him a lot, yeah. But as a personality. Not much there.
1: I've I've heard this described as being the body horror version of Kramer versus Kramer. Wow. And I was like, oh, shit. That's
0: actually pretty good. I
2: think that this movie, we could talk about, like, and one thing, another thing I want to talk about is what's actually happening with the supernatural element of it because Mm -hmm. I think I picked up on that a little bit better on a second viewing. But I think that this film is, like, meant to be a depiction of what it feels like on the inside of a very intense, disintegrating relationship. And it uses all of that body horror and supernatural stuff to kind of like evoke the emotions being felt inside of there, mm-hmm. which is why I think what actually happens with the supernatural element is a little bit, perhaps purposely obtuse. Mm-hmm. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, this is my interpretation of what's happening. He fi- uh, Mark, finds he sends a private investigator to, to follow her the private investigator goes to her apartment that she apparently has a side apartment of her own and he encounters inside of there some sort of creature which i guess was best described as like a tentacle cold practical uh, effects beast. well
0: i think uh i in, in a, docu- a documentary i watched part of um Apparently, Zalowski did try to pitch this movie to Paramount as a movie in which a woman fucks an octopus. <laughs> so, good job. An octopus was that description from Zalowski. It, it should be apparently. noted, though,
1: also that the uh, the special effects artist who created the tentacle beast is the same special effects artist who created the headpiece for uh, Alien. Oh, I can nice. see that. Yeah. Makes so
2: sense. and then from she she kills she ends up killing the private investigator, his lover who's the boss the private investigator boss who Mark originally had contacted goes looking for him. She kills him too. She ends up killing her other lover Heinrich, who we can talk about <laughs> I hope a lot later. Oh yeah. Uh, so what I think is happening here is that she's using these men to construct and create out of whatever demonic squid octopus monster we have she's using all of these men to create this doppelganger of mark that becomes her ideal lover at the very end and it seems as if she's using their bodies to do that because there's those scenes where their bodies are sort of incorporated into some sort of thing but what she really needs to do this is their souls and then at the very end of the film when mark has his meltdown he basically at that point, then she has his soul too. So the beast is cre- is complete. And then we have well, the and, doppelganger and, of him, which emerges.
0: And fitting in with that is when, uh, we're jumping a little bit ahead here, but I think it, it fits in uh, when Heinrich's mother is looking for him and she has seen that he's physically dead, but she's saying his soul is missing. So that would fit mm, in with what, mm-hmm, you're, which, mm-hmm. with what you're saying there uh, in terms of, that, But I think that, uh, and I think you're right, but I also think that he, in some ways, is trying to create his perfect lover, yes. yeah, as we see the through
2: same. the uh, teacher of Bob. Who, who looks identical to his wife, except that she has green eyes.
0: Yeah, and different hair. Because mm-hmm. he's like when he first sees her, he says, yeah. why are you wearing a wig? It, I think we, I've talked about my face blindness uh, before
2: on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. This is a, a way... The first time I watched this movie, it did not occur to me that it was the same actress because I can't—I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm officially face-blind, but I have some sort of thing going on. That's
0: pretty. And my wife was like,
2: "Oh, it's the same actress," and I was like, "No, it's not. Just looks totally different." She's like, "No, it's literally the same person except she has green eyes." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, before
1: you before you arrived, Todd and I were talking about that uh, the the teacher, and you know, you kind of wonder is her appearance. Looking like Anna, a manif- a manifestation of, of, of Mark's projection. You know, is he projecting mm-hmm, yeah. that that he's like, oh, you would make an ideal wife, so naturally she's going to look like his his uh, beautiful wife.
0: So, right but, because she's more um, maternal, it seems like right. Whereas his and more well life, adjusted, more well adjusted exactly. But
1: uh, definitely, you know, to your point, you know about about her building her beast he is doing much the same thing, but in a much different way.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
2: Is that how y'all interpreted what was going on with the... I think so.
0: creature? I think you articulated it a little bit more specifically than what I had in mind. I didn't think about... uh, It clicked with me, the soul thing that you mentioned when I remembered uh, Heinrich's mother or uh, Heinrich's mother talking about his soul being missing, and then that fit in with what you were saying. I didn't really pick up on... Um, her using like the detectives that she killed as part of the creature, but it actually makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. Yeah,
2: their bodies are still in the apartment, and they're like covered in black goo, which yeah. looks much like yeah. the creature itself, and they're kind of writhing as if they're
1: becoming something else. Let's talk about Heinrich for a second, because we've <laughs> we've mentioned him several times. <laughs> Heinrich, of course, is Anna's lover. When Mark returns home, she says, I'm not sleeping with somebody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not... And then Heinrich gets in touch with Mark. And he is an interesting character because he's very cavalier about the whole thing. Yes, I'm having sex with your wife and it's wonderful and she's beautiful and I'm great. And come over. I want to welcome you with open arms and be uh-huh. your pal. And it's, it's a, his behavior oh. is really uh, incongruous with what the whole situation is, is dictating and uh uh Todd you had said something about him possibly representing something cuz i i know you know mm-hmm. he's wearing white right a very pure color and and our bigger picture of of germany and you know cold war uh communism and stuff like that what were you
0: well yeah certainly uh this is very much a critique of soviet society and and negatively so however I feel like Heinrich almost represents the excesses of the West on the other hand. So it's like, it's almost as if Zalowski's presenting these two, uh, these two uh, sides and saying neither one of them are actually, uh, you know, pretty well put together because Heinrich is a very much self-absorbed, um, a very much an individualist who believes in pursuing his own pleasure, uh, regardless of what that does to other people. Um, And it was kind of interesting, some of the quotes. I wrote down several of Heinrich's quotes. One of the first ones that we see, he doesn't speak, but at the beginning of the movie, before Mark has actually met him, he picks up a postcard that evidently he had sent to uh, Anna, that Heinrich had sent to Anna. And it read, I've seen half of God's face here. The other half is you. And so that evokes, first off, some of the dualities that we see in the movie with the doppelgangers, with the East versus West, um... Communism versus, uh, you know, democracy, I guess. And then later on, when Heinrich shows up drunk to um, the uh, Mark's and Anna's apartment to try and find Anna, because she's abandoned him too now, uh, he says uh, to Mark, it's stiff and blocked men like you that lead them to the concentration camp and who are the crusaders of every blind wow. principle, so-called ideology humanity invents to strangle me. But he... Uh, applies it back to himself, though these critiques that he's making of the blocked men, who I suppose would be referring to metaphorically the uh, the communist society, he's saying it 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 uh, um, you know strangles me. Okay. And I think there's definitely and, and Heinrich is definitely almost a buffoon in a lot of ways, um, a comedic. I mean, I, I almost saw him as comedic relief at times. Um, and so I wonder what the two of you thought of that though I thought some of those quotes were interesting though because I did feel like that as much as Zalowski was critiquing um, communism that with Heinrich he was certainly saying well now wait a minute though this excess from the West is also problematic
2: honestly I hadn't thought about about it along those lines until just now Um, but that makes a lot of sense especially with the quote you were saying Um, I think also I think that thing when he said I've seen half the face of God and you're the other half kind of plays into this idea of like creating something well Heinrich has this
0: idea philosophy of like creating some sort of um, spiritual or perfection they talk about the sexual stuff and again it's almost comedic in the way that they do it but he talks about you know creating this sort of perfect um, sort of sexual union with Anna Mm -hmm. um, as he sees it um, well, she's getting something a, from Heinrich that she can't get from right. Mark. But and he talks versa. about it in these very spiritualized terms, um, but also very into, individualistic. Like the individual essentially is God, or something along those lines, I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe that was me reading a little too much into it. I don't know. Well,
1: then that's, that's the great thing about this movie, is that you can read so much into it however you want to, and... I don't know if anything's necessarily wrong because it's such a bizarre movie anyway. It's rich enough to support a lot of different readings. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think that was intentional um, to, to let you kind of go wild thinking about some of these <sighs> these different ideas. Um, well, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, oh.
2: we can't talk about Heinrich without talking about his death, which is one of the most uh, disgusting and memorable and but also lasting I, yeah. death scenes of, of anyone. And, and before I, we talk about what happened, well, my favorite quote from the movie is near the end when Mark is talking to his handlers, his international spy handlers, um, and they're basically trying to convince him that not, everything's not fucked and you know just come do what you're supposed to do. And he said, I met a man who loved everything and he died in a flood of shit. which is exactly how Heinrich dies because basically
0: he lures Heinrich into... A man who sought the divine, according to his his, own words, ends up with his face in the toilet. Yeah. Um, So Mark, for
2: the, the viewers at home who haven't seen the film, watch it before you listen to this, but Mark basically lures him into a public bathroom, bashes him over the head with a toilet seat, and then he...
0: Or it's not I forget the seat exactly. it's the, what do they call the top part? Yeah, of, the
2: the lid. The basically. lid, I guess. And yeah. then he uh, the the tank
0: lid. The tank lid. And yeah. then
2: he sh- somehow shoots him up with drugs somehow to make it look like a like he's
0: no uh, he's, Heinrich had because remember Heinrich uh, experimented with I guess hallucinogens everything. or something like that. So he had a packet of that on him already, mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of so you know dumped it on him, kind of like the old. Um, uh, Dave Chappelle joke where he said, "You know the cops would sprinkle crack on people uh, right. to frame them for <laughs> right." You know, for that's murder. exactly what it looked. like. That's what exactly what he but did. But basically,
2: drowns him in in a in a bagged up toilet full of human shit. So it's and it it is as disgusting as it sounds like on film. Mm-hmm.
1: Just wrapping up some plot points before we get into some of these other discussion things that we that we've kind of set up. Um, yeah, you know, the fighting between mark and anna was was epic uh the electric knife scene oh god yeah just doing each other self doing Mm self-harm speaks to just how fucked up their breakup was Mm -hmm. and just it kind of speaks to a bigger picture of like when you go through these breakups you do really weird dumb shit Mm -hmm. because you're just distraught and it
0: hurts yourself as much as the other person right exactly so you have things like that that pop up um actually it was more disturbing so in that scene i guess if we describe it more specifically they're arguing and then anna takes the electric knife cuz she's cutting some meat and puts it against her own neck right uh and then after she, they patch her up uh she walks back into the room and just almost nonchalantly mark is cutting his uh yeah. arm but he's doing it in a way he's not screaming out in pain or anything he's just sort of you know doing it yeah that uh, was so, that was
1: a bizarre a yeah. bizarre scene to watch some things that we kind of glossed over about the uh, uh, Anna luring these men into her apartment. Uh, you know, Heinrich saw the beast, but did, did was not killed. That's why he went to the bar and he was getting drunk and he told Mark to come get him or whatever. After he kills Heinrich, then he sets the apartment on fire. Uh, Mark does. Mm-hmm. And, and
0: so basically destroying this den of... Mm-hmm. Madness or right. whatever. Well, actually, you say lure them too, and I think Joey mentioned that too. She didn't really lower lure, uh, lure the uh, detectives sure. there, though. Right, right, right. They came and he found her. Here. So that, yeah, that kind of complicates things a little bit. Um, but she was, but she did. You know,
1: Heinrich kind of came looking for her. And, Heinrich did for sure. Yeah. yeah. Then, then it gets. This is when it gets really strange, because as I was saying to you, uh, Todd, before before Joey got here. You know, Mark starts out kind of sane and kind of with it. And he's like, this Seemingly. Is, seemingly, at least. But he's, he's like, This is a screwed up situation. This is a bad marriage. This is going to shit. We need to get out of it. He sees the teacher who who obviously is a stable person and, and he, he likes her. Of course there's Margie uh Marge or whatever her name is with the with the cast on her foot.
0: That was a weird character and a I'm not entirely yeah, sure. Yeah, and what she was always thrusting
1: her. herself at Mark and he had the wherewithal to say, you know, no, no, no. It's
0: Anna's best friend, right? right? That was
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's like you can
0: watch Bob but but don't don't come on to me. I'm not I'm not into you. Interesting though though we never really see Anna No, and, right? Uh Margie uh interact. But they're supposed to be best friends, so except so, when she kills her. True. Well, okay, so that's <laughs> probably my, not that's much. I was gonna yeah. say.
1: So after he comes, after he blows up the apartment, he goes back to his place, and Margie's like coming out of the the apartment, and she's on the verge of death, and he carries her back to his place.
2: Basically, so he can cover up her murder, though. Right. For, for, right. So, so for he's covering
1: wife. up for his, his 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 estranged wife. Right. And they have sex with the dead body, pretty much within you know spitting distance, and that's when I that's when you have this turn where it's like okay he's lost he's lost it now he is now in this crazy spiral with her. Well, this is something I picked up
2: on rewatching it again today. The first time I watched this movie, I loved it, but I thought that one critique I may have had of it what it it was kind of like the you know crazy ex wife story like you know everybody thinks their ex girlfriend's crazy if all your ex-girlfriends are crazy, maybe it's you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But this time I realized that, you know, Mark is not happy, sane, well-adjusted. Mark's just as fucked up as Anna. Uh, He's very controlling. He's very possessive. He goes on like a three-week bender... Deserts both of them And then when he comes back And he finds his kid All covered in jam You know All of a sudden It's her fault Because she's let this happen But like Where the fuck were
0: you For the past
2: three weeks right. Motherfucker Like you well, know Now so, you're going
0: It's interesting That you bring that up Because I saw something Where Zalowski Wanted to pattern it After Anna Karenina And supposedly And I'd never heard this before About that novel oh. But Tolstoy Started off writing Anna Karenina As sort of a Um Uh, you know, crazy ex-girlfriend type of uh, story. But then as it progressed, he realized that she was actually the victim. Um, And so he, and so Zalowski, I uh, sort of took inspiration from that, uh, even applying it to his own situation. And, um, you know, yes, and and you, you could certainly interpret it as, oh, my, you know, my wife's just a crazy lunatic. But, you know, She's a victim in a lot of ways too, mm-hmm. of uh, his coldness, his rigidity. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And she keeps telling him
2: that she wants out of the relationship, and he won't. Like, and he refuses he to refuses to acknowledge that yeah. until it get you know it reaches a tipping point. Right. I think that's what the first time when I was watching the movie the first time I was thinking possession meant like she's being possessed by whatever mm-hmm. creature it is that you know. And certainly that's an element of it, but they're both possessed. She, yeah. And the, the, but well, she
1: is his possession.
2: Yeah. And yeah, but he's driven crazy by yeah. his inability he to won't let possess it go. her. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That was one, right. That was one of my discussion well, points. And I agree with you. It's like this double meeting was well crafted because clearly <clears throat> there's a possession in the horror movie sense of the word going on. But from a, uh, a human dynamic point of view, mm-hmm. yeah, he's he can't let go.
2: And when it comes to their meltdowns, uh, Zulowski really just let the actors fucking go for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, Sam has a couple of, Sam Neal has a couple of scenes like this, but the one that steals the whole movie is... Is in the subway yeah, uh, tunnel. Yeah, and I forget her name. What's her name, the actress's name? I um, can't. Uh, Johnny. Yeah. Um, yeah, she Isabel. the the Isabella Johnny the, there's a scene where she basically just has a nervous breakdown in mm-hmm. the subway she has a miscarriage, well, has a miscarriage and, and, yeah. yeah and it is harrowing yeah. to watch oh,
1: yeah. she like the actress said it took her over two years to get over making that film really she said it really fucked her up uh, Sam Neill retrospectively said that uh, he's Fortunate to have taken that role on when he was as young as he was, mm-hmm. because he does not think he could throw himself into a role like that ever again. Mm-hmm. He, it
0: took so much out of him that, what to, to was, go to the mental place to make scenes like that look believable, like the one Joey's uh, referring to uh, in the tunnel um, where she has the miscarriage. I mean, she just goes, and, and I mean, I don't even know how to. De- I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. You just have to have to see it for yourself. But Um, it's it's the kind of mental place you would have to go to. I mean, you'd have to be in a fucked up mental state to be able to make that mm -hmm. believable and pull that off.
2: But it's the kind of thing that, like, a lot of times doesn't come off well. They, as a general rule, all just nail it, and I think that Zulowski just really let the actors go for it, and that should be commended for
0: that because there's there's no no way to write that into a script. What she did, what she did, was not something you could articulate in a script. So Mm -hmm. yeah, he had to give her a lot of. Uh, freedom. I'm sure he yeah. gave her some instructions, but very much an actor's movie in that sense.
1: So Mark decides to dispose of Marge's body. And then that's when he sees Anna having sex with the almost fully formed tentacle beast. Right. And that is, uh, I was, I was, uh, not, I guess shocked really just how graphic it was. Yeah. Um, this was tentacle porn before it was, you know, hot with all the kids in Japan, you know. <laughs> this was this was uh, definitely a, a trend setter.
2: There's in the way that they film it, it's not explicit. It's you know, not. See, you don't see penetration, but because of the angle of the shot and oh, the, yeah. uh, and the way of the movement it,
0: it, it doesn't and really cries come up of ecstasy flying <laughs> penetration, you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then out of oh, the, well, I, I just oh, remembered ahead. Evil Dead too. Is sort of a similar thing, yeah. except it's tree branches instead of tentacles. Sure. Anyway, sorry.
1: Um, this is when the, uh, the the call comes from Heinrich's mother, and that scene mm-hmm. happens where uh, Mark goes and visits her, and and she really drops some some the, the philosophy bombs, and then she kills herself with a bunch of pills. What transpires next is probably the most mishmashed part of the film for me. The next day. Mark's former employers contact him and they say, come, come back to work for us. He says, no, he goes by Margie's apartment and sees the cops gathered around outside. Mm -hmm. He stages a distraction. Somebody escapes in his car. I mean, that poor cab driver too. And then, and then he he flees on motor, on motorcycle and crashes into a building.
2: After getting shot.
1: After getting shot. Right. So you have this, uh, so... That was like a just a chaotic clusterfuck.
2: All of what Sean just described takes place in about maybe, what, 45 seconds it's of film
1: very, or something? Fast, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a very fast sequence. <laughs> uh, but then that gives us the opportunity for... Um, Anna's pursuing Mark. The cops are pursuing them. The former employees are, are pursuing everyone. They start it's,
2: up... It's also revealed in the middle of this, too, that the man with the pink socks, who is we we think the villain that he's been trying to reach this entire time through his spy job is actually one of his handlers mm-hmm. So I don't I don't even know what to make of that. Yeah,
0: like, I wasn't I, I was a little confused. There's a yeah the scene towards the end. Uh, he really I guess goes out of event, his way. Put, like, you know yeah. they they make it a point when he puts his shoe up. They Look, this guy socks. has pink socks, right? Yeah, like is, what they
1: referred to earlier. Is that I'm is not, that a reference to pinko communism? <laughs> possibly.
0: And I and actually until you said it, I was it. It makes a little more sense now. But I thought he had met the man in the pink socks. Already, But I guess he was just looking for him and didn't know who he was. I don't know. So that this part was a little confusing
1: to me. So this leads to the big climactic scene where they're going up these rounds of stairs, these flights of stairs. Hitchcockian stairs. Very much so. Thank mm-hmm. you for saying that. Because there are a lot of vertical and down shots. Because there's a big open uh, space between the ceiling and the floor uh, that gives a lot of great viewpoints. And so, there, so so Mark and Anna are climbing the stairs. He's shot. You know, he's, he's hobbled. The cops are all gathered at the bottom, uh, on the bottom floor. That's when she reveals the doppelganger, fully formed version of Mark with black eyes, I guess, really brown. But, and Luckily, uh,
2: my wife was there to tell me that that was supposed
0: to look <laughs> just like Sam Neill. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. If you didn't pick up on that, I'm sorry.
1: Um, so, so Mark raises his gun. And is he aiming
0: at the doppelganger, I guess at that point? Like, yeah, gonna it? it looks like he's trying. Apparently the doppelganger is immortal.
1: Right. So the cops open fire when he raises the gun, he's, he drops down and it gets on top of him. And this is the most awkward thing I've ever seen. She takes his gun and reaches around her back to
0: shoot herself to shoot, in the head.
1: Shoots herself. No, she shoots herself in the spine. Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: You're like shoots right. them both, so that it goes yeah, through, so it her goes her through and both him, of them. But yeah.
1: the the angle was so bizarre. And then, of course, uh, after that happens, Mark flings himself over the balcony rail and plummets to his death.
2: The, I think that scene we. He could have just died when she shot them both, but it's important that they both end their own lives. Mm-hmm. And also, then we get to make full use of those like those long shots you're sure. talking about with the with the spiral staircase.
1: So the doppelganger or he falls down it. So the doppelganger uh, uh, escapes through the roof. He comes across a, a woman, and he kind of charms her a little bit. Yeah, did you catch that? It's kind of almost yeah. like a, like a yeah. He like, hypnotized. He was like here. Yeah.
0: He tells her to shoot at them and hands her the gun yeah. She's like okay. It's kind of <laughs> devilish, you know, right, in yeah, that way.
1: Yeah. And then, and then of course we're in the final shots of the film where um, Helen, the the virtuous version of Anna, uh, she's babysitting Bob. Which, how nice of her! No one set this up, <laughs> nobody asked her to come over, but there she is anyway. Doorbell rings. Bob says, "Please don't answer the door. Don't answer the door." And then Bob goes and gets in the tub face first and drowns
2: himself. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pick up on that until today. I didn't pick up on the fact that he was killing that this little kid was committing suicide until the very yeah. end uh, at the very end of the movie. Until I watched it again today, and that's pretty fucked. It up. It raises know, a really like, interesting have like question: an Eight-year-old killing is himself.
1: the kid that intuitive that he knows that this is a doppelganger, or is he like just so over his dad's presence in his life that he's ready to kill himself? I mean, there's like a lot of heaviness there, that what drove this kid to do this because, like you said, the kid didn't have a whole lot of dialogue and not he was kind of a pawn getting stretched between. But for him to do that, what drove my, him to my interpretation was
2: that, his, he never sees that it's his dad's doppelganger at the door. I he think he just senses se- it. He senses it when she says the door. He says, "No, please don't open mm-hmm. it. Don't open it." Um, and she says, "No, I have to, silly." And she goes. But then what, and here's another thing that I didn't really fully pick up on on the first viewing either. When he shows up at the door, basically the world is ending because we have what is, we, we assume is nuclear war breaking out, right? Right. Yeah. We hear the nuclear sirens, there's planes, bombs going off, and everything like that, which was what I was alluding to earlier when I said it kind of ends on an almost omen like note. It almost makes me wonder if, like, what she's been doing. Manifesting through the souls of all of her lovers And other various sundry men Is almost like this Antichrist like figure
1: Yeah well, and that's the thing It's like uh, the film ends with his silhouette at the door, this you know glass door that you, you know, obscures, groping
2: everybody. at it as if he's trying to get in, and
1: Helen staring
0: with these shining eyes. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Sam Neill did play Damien in the Omen Three, which is a terrible movie, but he <laughs> you know, should be pointed out that nice.
1: <laughs> well, I did not know that.
0: I'm,
2: yeah.
1: I'm gonna drink to that factoid
2: and okay. fill my
1: beer up. So that's yeah. so that's a, that's that's the action of the movie. It's crazy. It is a basket case of a movie in terms of what actually happens, scene for scene. It's 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 wild. I think it's good. A good time for us to take a break. We're gonna do a little intermission and uh, go pee in the yard. And uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about some of these more thematic points of the film and uh, our interpretations so uh, give us a minute we'll be right back but not before we say let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby and get get ourselves some some Wiener schnitzel (laughs) (laughs) I've completed my job that's why we want to rehire you it's out of the question what would be the reason for your refusal family
0: maybe all couples go through
1: this you have someone Yes. Do you sleep with him? Yes. How long is it going to last? I don't know. When I'm away from you, I think of you as an animal or a woman possessed, and then I see you again and all this disappears. You know, love isn't something you can just switch from channel to channel. Who is he? Is he there?
2: And we're back. Wait, were we just recording
1: my story about the Dirty Harry? Yeah, but the names were protected. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when we come back, Joey, what do we like to do? We like to check in our beers, Sean. Yes, well, we've been talking about them as we've been drinking them, but uh, Todd brought one. It's a, it's a volatile beer, to say the least. Exploded tell, in his car. Tell us apparently. what it is.
0: Tell us what it is, Todd. Well, I just bought it uh, in order to try it for the first time because it sounded kind of cool. It was. It's a mango habanero blonde ale called flames will follow uh by dis- <laughs> i think i guess this out of your ass it looks like dissolver i dissolver guess dissolver in it? Asheville. Yeah, yes in Asheville. so uh it actually exploded in my car fortunately it was still in the uh liquor store bag um but it, it, two of them exploded at the bottom so i don't know if there's some we, we were speculating about what the uh issue might be with it. Sean thinks maybe Todd walks up to the house there.
1: like he's got like an IV bag <laughs> that sprung a leak. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. just like just steadily just like leaking as he, we walk over the deck and we, we take out, I'm like oh, it's this one here. And it's popped open and then no, no, there's a second one that's popped. It's like, it's like shooting a stream of beer piss out of the bottom of the can <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it was, yeah, I, I wonder what would cause it because beers generally do not burst the bottom of a can so i don't know if the cans were compromised you were theorizing that there's some sort of infection in the beer what the beer doesn't taste that bad the beer doesn't taste bad to me at all would you be able to taste it if it were infected Mm -hmm. absolutely you can identify various qualities of an infected
0: beer like if it tastes like band-aids it's one thing if it tastes like buttered popcorn it's another thing um, and it wasn't hot enough today. We were talking about the nice weather earlier. Yeah. It was it's, you know not hot enough for it to explode yeah. in the car after half an hour. Yeah. So um, that was kind of I, odd. I
1: think it's a combination of things. I think those cans may have had like a dent in them. And then you combine that with the pressure of the carbonation and possibly, possibly a little bit of the heat. And it was just a perfect storm for this guy
0: to right. go crazy. I heard an explosion in my car, and I was like, oh, my God, did I did I blow a tire? What happened? And and unfortunately for your car, alcohol. flames
1: did not follow. No. So.
0: Yeah, fortunately, most of it, I left it in the bag that it was given to me. And so fortunately, most everything uh, leaked into that. Uh, I, I, actually, it's a fairly tasty beer. I like... Kind of spicy things, and it you know has a you know it's pretty nice, good, nice but not overwhelming. Uh, yeah, I was expecting heat. a lot more heat,
1: and I think that uh, there's a nice
0: nice balance of it. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's talk about
1: some of the thematic things about uh, this this great film that we watched that still bends my mind
0: every time I think about it. Well, certainly we have the uh, East versus West communism. I mean, right from the beginning of the film, we see we're we're on uh, the Right around the Berlin Wall. You can even see the barbed wire around the living space that they live in. That's actually where it was, in fact, filmed. And apparently, uh, there's a scene where you can see um, soldiers on the other side of the wall looking over the binoculars. And that was act- actual real, soldiers. Real soldiers. Real soldiers looking over checking out what they were doing with their film um, you can also see in certain scenes the architecture change depending on where they are so in one, in, in certain scenes you see the western architecture for example uh, towards the beginning of the film when Sam Neill is um, talking to his handlers Um, and walking away from that building, and it's kind of a Western-style architecture building. I'm not savvy enough in architecture to tell you exactly what type. But then we also have later in the film when Anna is in her apartment and the very drab grays of, uh, I guess, what was supposed to represent the uh, Soviet uh, communist living conditions of the time. Um, And so those things are kind of uh, set up... um, Right from the beginning of the film. It definitely was a, I mean, Zalowski's on record. Uh, I've seen interviews with him where he says that this was a deliberate choice, that there were, you know, beautiful shots he could have opened with uh, in that area. But he chose um, to kind of a, uh, right off the bat immerse you mm-hmm. in this uh, sort of um, Cold War scenario.
2: Well, just the setting it in, in Berlin... In and of itself, hints at like that you know duality and all that other stuff we talked about too. So,
1: yeah, I mean it's a pretty uh, in your face symbol: a breakup, a split, a parting of ways. I mean that's
0: very much what that whole thing was about: East Germany, West Germany. One interesting thing that, uh, and and this wasn't something I picked up on. I watched a uh, part of a documentary um, about the fi- about the making of the film and uh And I thought that this was kind of a cool concept that really fit in with the themes of the movie, which was that uh, Zalowski talked about uh, in this interview how in a in this in this uh, society uh evil manifested itself physically like you could see the embodiment of evil through certain people through certain systems, and it had a physical embodiment which maybe isn't the way that we think of evil normally. And what he said that he thought was an interesting thought and what he wanted to explore in the movie was whether or not that evil from the outside could seep its way uh, into you Mm -hmm. as a person.
2: One might argue that that's what horror as a genre does, though, is it embodies and personifies uncategorizable
0: evil. Sure. But I thought that was definitely an interesting concept and maybe what makes it a horror movie as well. Um, this idea of if you're surrounded by evil, if there's any way that you can avoid having that become a part of yourself. And then that and then that makes... To me, that made a lot of sense in terms of thinking about the different doppelgangers and things like that that we see in the movie. And interestingly, the doppelgangers have opposite effect depending on the character. So in the Sam Neill case, um, his real-world counterpart is kind of the shithead or is kind of the... Um, I don't know how to put it I guess his his counterpart at the end of the movie is sort of this pure evil sort of immortal being whereas with Anna uh, her counterpart is it's the reverse right? She's
2: very very matronly
0: The teacher and, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. So in other words the the creations kind of have different it, it's kind of the reverse depending on the gender does that make sense? Um, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? Um, Ah,
1: no, you, you just hit on one of my talking points, which was that significance of doubles and doppelgangers. I mean, it's, it's key to the film and, um, you can take and interpret that any way you like. I mean, there's a, a, several different, you know, takes you can have on that. Um, you know i've mentioned it earlier in the first half about mark's repulsion of anna's behavior at the beginning and then by the end of the film he seems to be compliant with it and i really like your counterpoint about how you know he was kind of repulsive too you know the fact that he went on that 3 week bender and and kind of left her high and dry, even after he was, you know, supposedly done with his assignment.
0: And he kicked the shit out of her at one point.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was not—he's no angel. No, he's abusive. I mean, this don't don't I you split don't hairs about an it. Angel. He's right. he's abusive. The doppelganger itself, um, and we mentioned this as well, in its early stages had a lot of similarities to the Beak baby from uh, Eraserhead, when it was just a little a little cylinder with these little lips that were just kind of mew, 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 mew. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly was in influenced by, by, by eraser
0: head. I, I, I don't think that in, I mean, has he denied that uh, Todd in your viewing? I haven't, uh, and, you know, it's been a while since I've seen Eraserhead. I do remember, you know, kind of the, the basic concept though. Yeah. I mean, I would, it would be surprising if there wasn't visually some sort of an influence there—a Cronenberg influence. Well,
1: the Cronenberg um, influence it, it hits on several levels because obviously Cronenberg was into the body horror thing, but also The Brood had come out um, just a year or two prior, okay. and it speaks to the breakup of a family as well. Also, right? the
2: manif- like in The Brood, if I'm remembering correctly, the the Brood, the little nightmarish children creatures, are like a manifestation of one of the characters' psychology, basically. Right, right, yeah. And that's kind of what's happening here, is like like the, the squid creature, or whatever we've been, we've been calling it, is sort of like a manifestation of Anna's, you know, her melees and her...
1: Need for something better yeah. and different.
0: Well, it's almost like a an even like a Frankenstein thing almost. Yeah. She's trying to build the perfect partner, mm-hmm. the ideal partner.
1: Yeah. And it looks like her husband, but behaves differently. Right. And that's exactly what, what he did with the teacher. She right. looks like her, but behaves differently. So it's like it, that speaks a lot to breakups of like a marriage where there, there are things in you that I still adore and love, but it just can't work you know and that that, that's a beautiful thing that he he put out there that you know there there are things that are good and things that are great but ultimately no not going to happen and then the other part you know is that the ending of the film it, it kind of comes full circle and you've got the same characters at square one and you know what is the director trying to say in that point are we is he speaking in terms of of cold war and, and war itself. Are we just bound to repeat our same mistakes over and over again? Or is that more just simpler and more about people? Are we just bound to to
0: fuck up the same way we fucked up before?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I think again, it's, it could be interpreted multiple ways. And that comes from Zalowski himself, essentially, because the Genesis of this was him, as we've already discussed, exploring his own, uh, fucked up relationship. Uh, but then, you know, he also talks about, um, the uh what we what I mentioned earlier, the idea of being surrounded by this evil and can it infiltrate you and become a part of you as well and so i I mean I think that there there's both of those things uh, or both of those elements there Todd, I know you had
1: some some things that you wanted to talk about uh one thing I sure. did want to say real quick before that though is that um the American version of the film was trimmed down to eighty one minutes on its release. And they say that it kind of like sidestepped a lot of the, uh, relationship issues. So it was almost a straight up body horror type movie. And I can't possibly understand what that movie was like. Right. It had to have made no sense. I know. know, It had to be just impossible to follow.
0: Yeah. I, I'd be interested to see that version just to, you know, see if they were able to make narrative or make it make narrative sense in any way. Um, It would have to almost be just strictly a thriller or something like that, I guess. I don't know. I can't imagine that working. But, uh, you know, some of what I wanted to talk about builds off of uh, some of uh, what we discussed in the first uh, part of the show with Heinrich. uh, Because Heinrich does a lot of philosophizing, let's face it. And he talks about God a lot. And there were a couple of, I already mentioned a couple of things right from the beginning, you know, about, uh, you know, him telling Anna that um if i've seen half of god's face here the other half is you and that kind of thing there was another interesting snatch of dialogue between him and mark uh, at one point and i think this i believe this was the scene where he showed up at the apartment drunk um but hirot says uh, to mark there is nothing to fear but god whatever that means to you and mark says for me god is a disease and then Heinrich replies, that's why through disease we can reach God. And I'm curious, do you guys... I, I remember thinking about that too. And I, what I,
2: I took it to mean just that disease is a route to death. And then that's how we meet God.
0: I don't know. I thought maybe it was a little bit more of a sort of a dig at God. I don't know. Or the concept of God maybe. In some way yeah
1: I kind of took it that way too because it seemed like uh, especially in the way Sam delivered the line he sounded kind of dismissive about the whole notion of, of being
0: reverent towards a god right and then I guess Heinrich is saying it's our disease natures that brings us back to God or something like that I guess but the the, the cons or, or Heinrich though continuously bringing up God and that philosophizing uh, I, I did find interesting As sort of baked into this concept of East versus West, because of course, you know, in a communist society, it's you know, and I I guess atheist for the most part, or they at least tried to suppress religion. Uh, And then in the you know West, it's more you know pro religion or or an individual relationship with God, which goes back into I think the individualism with Heinrich. but it's also a very self-absorbed kind of individualism, right? I mean, Heinrich's not like a great guy, is he? I mean, what, I what do you he's guys think? He's a better thought? guy than Mark. I mean, yeah. but
2: it's also here's the thing that gets lost too. Heinrich is married to someone else who's never shown on screen. He's right. Married, so he's having an affair with Anna. Right. Yeah, he's got a kid. Has a kid. I think. Yeah, but yeah, like he's. I don't know. I think he's a better person than Mark is because he's not as destructive.
0: But I think, though, he's almost... I also be would be a...
2: willing to bet that for Anna, he's better in
0: bed than Mark, too. <laughs> well, no, well, that's, and they emphasize Mark's got a kind of stick rammed right up his ass. Let's but, face it. But here's the thing, though. Heinrich, this is why I said earlier that Heinrich was in some ways like... I mean, not like a bust laugh out loud sort of comedic character, but like sort of a satirical character in some ways. Because he talks about God in all these philosophical ways, but he's also like very individualistic. He's uh, bragging about his sexual prowess, Mm -hmm. Um, you know... (sighs) He, he he pulls off, I thought the fight between uh, Mark and Heinrich was hilarious because Heinrich pulls out these, like, I don't know what they were, jiu-jitsu. I mean, he pulls out some kind of crazy moves, uh, like, yep. you know, that you would expect, I don't know, that you would expect to see from someone who meditates a lot or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But uh, it was kind of a funny uh, uh, sort of scene to me, at least. Um, and so that's why I thought, you know... As much as Zalowski certainly is critiquing uh, communism, uh, I don't know that if, if Heinrich is kind of the Western version of that, he's certainly not necessarily presented as all that great either, right? hmm So it seems, I don't know, it seems like he, Heinrich is almost like, okay, let me make clear that I'm not saying that the alternative is all necessarily that great either. Everyone's flawed. Right. right. Very much so. Right.
2: I'm just, I don't know. I, uh, I think I had a different take on Heinrich perhaps than, than than y'all did. I don't know. I just, I really like that character. Um, I like the character. Yeah. He is sort of, I mean, I, I, I get the idea that he's presented as, as sort of like comic relief, but, um, I don't know. He's the anti-Mark and she needs (laughs) both of those things and more to make her ideal.
0: That's, that's not out of line with what I think about him, too. They both have their flaws and they're both, you know, in, in, in some ways she's trying, that's part of what the creature becomes, right? Is, you know, some of the qualities she likes about Mark is blended in there. Some of the Heinrich qualities are in there. And then maybe some of the other males as well, as you mentioned, she's trying to create her perfect, you know, Frankenstein, and then, type and then
1: there's
2: poor little Bob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the fate of their relationship is somehow tied to the fate of the of the world too, because as we talked about earlier, and this is something I didn't really pick up on the first time I watched it either. But like, as their relationship disintegrates, the world literally is ending at the end of the movie. Yeah, which again I think goes back to that whole thing I was talking about the very beginning of the episode where um, this film kind of depicts what it feels like on the inside of a decaying, very intense, decaying relationship. And it feels as if the entire world is ending when it comes to an end. So that's, I guess, manifested in what we assume is nuclear war happening at the very end. Do we
0: know what sparked the actual... I mean, was there a reason given or did it just... Kind of start as, um, well, you know, I'm the, assuming it has
2: something to do with whatever uh, Mark's international spy mission vis-a-vis the right. guy with. The they don't give a concrete. We don't They don't give a concrete reason. That, yeah. So it
0: is I, okay. My, my, my uh, reason I asked that question was: Is it just cl- just a clear, pure, metaphorical move, or is there is it? Yeah, I don't remember there being anything. It? Yeah, it just kind indicated. Of started,
2: so. I guess that whatever Mark's handlers were trying to get him to do was staving off yeah. the nuclear war. And then when he died and his mission fell apart, um, that all the, hell
0: broke loose. Yeah. So another thing I thought was interesting was the concept of dead dogs that kept being brought up. And then the dead dog that was in the water yeah, uh, at the end. What do you guys make of it? I mean, I, I mean, I don't necessarily have a, so, um, you know, if you've seen the movie or haven't, uh, you know uh, Sam Neill relates this story about um, you know when he was a kid and a dog going up under his house to die and him joining the dog. Oh yeah, because uh, he wanted to
2: know what what was under there, right. Worth dying for or something something like that. But
0: and he actually right. told a similar version of the story earlier, but didn't personalize it. He just said, "You ever wondered what a dog does when it goes under the house to die and you hear it yelp, almost as if it's." you know, seeing something meeting uh, God. Right. So, and then they see the uh, the dead dog in the water. And, uh, I just, you know, wondered what the, what was this imagery of the dead dog? Do you think, um, I'll bet that wasn't right? in the American version. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs>
2: America's full of people who love true crime and, and, and are obsessed with serial killers but will lose their shit, shit if the dog over got a got dead dog yes. Yes.
0: Oh, Don't kill the dog. Oh never. <laughs> and oh and one other thing too with the dead dog. Am I wrong that when he he dumped a body in the water and it almost seemed like it became the dog? Am I did I read that wrong? I'd have to rewatch that.
2: Well, at the very end what, of the film, he uh, his handler comes up to him and he looks in the water and he says, that dog wasn't dead when it went in the water, implying that you've killed it. Right. And he... and. Uh, Mark says something to the effect of there's much worse than a dead dog back at the apartment where he's done what he's done Mm -hmm. and the handler basically says we can take care of all that just come back to work for us Right, and that's when he rebukes him one last time before we find out that he is the man
0: with the pink socks right Hmm. yeah anyway the dead dog imagery though just kept popping up particularly towards the end and so I just I mean I think the metaphor in general is obvious you know comparing it to humanity um, the can... yelp, the yelp of uh, uh, you know, seeing something at the very end that terrifies you or something like that. But the the dog, dead dog in the water, though, was the one where I was like, mm, I'm not sure what to make of that. I think I think Joey's explanation is probably well, as close as I can get.
2: I think it like I mean I think it points to the complexity and the richness of this movie that uh, we've talked about it for almost an hour now and we ever I mean I don't think that there are many conclusions that we've reached perhaps but um, it just remains apparent that this is a fucking great film and like I was saying in, in my Letterboxd review if it weren't for the fact that horror doesn't typically have the same mainstream cachet as, you know, costume dramas and biopics and those kind of things. This thing would have, if not swept the Oscars that year, at least have gotten serious buzz, uh, Oscar buzz. And you said that she, uh, Isabel Johnny, won the. In 1975.
1: The Cons- oh, in 75, she was Oscar nominated. But she won like a. The, she won in, in con, yeah. She won best okay. actress for this.
2: But did not get nominated. This wasn't nominated for anything. Not, yeah, you know, right. In the Oscars, so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's the fact that as this, good as any.
0: Well, and the fact argue. that this movie has not been even available, mm-hmm. you couldn't rent it on streaming, you couldn't <clears> find <throat> it streaming. Um, I don't even think it was on YouTube. Sometimes when things are like out of, or in, in the public domain, you can find them on YouTube. You couldn't find it there. It's basically just um, become
2: a cult classic. And most of the time when you encounter a movie that's a cult classic, okay, it's a decent movie. It's fun. It, there's elements that, you know, make it culty, but they're not very often just stellar films like this one is. Yeah, this one's,
1: a, this one's yeah. a thinker. I mean, it. it's, stuck with me days and days and days after watching it I kept replaying stuff in my head and and just asking myself questions about the director's intent and the the, the bigger meaning or double meaning or deeper meanings you know that's for me that's the earmark of a good movie and mm-hmm. I, this yeah. one's definitely got that going for it
2: Have we seen much else that Zulowski's done? I mean, Todd, you watched The Devil, is that what it's called?
0: So he doesn't have much that's actually similar to Possession. A lot of his movies aren't even available. Uh, I found uh, a version of an earlier film than Possession called The Devils from the 70s. And you could definitely see his fingerprints all over it in terms of... Like the uh, symbol, symbolic violence, and uh, that kind of stuff. It was set, uh, I believe, in I want to say, in the 17th century, okay. Poland. Um, I didn't care for it quite as much. I didn't quite, and maybe, maybe there was something about Polish history that I, if I had known that, would have made the film make more sense. I just couldn't quite make enough sense of it. Uh, in the same way that War Possession, I felt like I could make enough sense of it to enjoy it. Okay, um, but uh, you know that's that's the only other one uh, that that I've seen by him. Um, Have you
1: seen any? Mm-mm, no, mm-hmm. his work is uh, unknown to me. I, this was this is a standalone. Yeah, that just sort of adds to the mystique of this of this movie.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, one other thing I did want to mention: Sister Chance and Sister Faith. Do you oh know? yeah yeah, get yeah. into that. So. Uh, uh Anna brings this concept up a couple times and uh particularly uh after she has the infamous miscarriage scene that we referenced earlier where she goes bonkers in the um in the tunnel and uh, has a miscarriage uh after that happens uh, I wrote down the quote um, she says uh sister faith uh, uh she miscarried sister faith and what was left was sister chance so that was interesting. So obviously, that's not actually super heavy-handed. Faith and chance are pitted against one another as one of these dualities, um, which maybe we haven't talked much about. Do you see that uh, as a major role in the film, faith versus chance? Um, and this is also goes back to the East versus West thing again, because of the, you know, the the communist societies supposedly being more anti-religion. Uh, and I would assume anti-faith. Um, but then also if you're giving up faith and you're, uh, making yourself, you're putting yourself at the mercy of chance, I guess. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought that was an interesting miscarried sister faith and what was left was sister chance. So I guess what, whoever's, and do we even know whose who's, uh, child she's pregnant with? Do we assume it's Heinrich? Right? I mean, that's a
1: lot of uh, stuff that's open to uh, interpretation. I don't think it was said. Yeah. What I do know is that that particular uh, shot, they shot at 5 a.m. in the subway tunnel. Um, Man, she had to do that first thing in the morning. They said it was very, very, very cold, and they did two takes because that's all they could really get out of her because it was just miserable. Oh, and yeah. And they said the only reason they did it was a safety take was in case that the one take got fucked up by the, the, the film lab and they had something to fall back on. But what they, they said that the, what you see there was the first, first take. take. Yeah. Wow.
0: And I guess the only way I could interpret it was if sister faith is, if she had actually given birth to the child, um, it would have been like, you know, the faith that you have in a new life and what it could potentially become okay. versus uh, losing that life. And now you as having lost or she is having lost that life is now left with nothing but chance in her life. She, in other words, she doesn't have the hope of the new life to, although she does have her son, Bob. <laughs> so I don't what know. What about that. Bob? I don't know. You know, poor Bob. <laughs> Um, yeah,
1: Bob. Uh, Bob got the short end of the stick in this movie, uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Poor yeah. kid. Uh, just a like you said, he's a pawn, just stretched yeah. in between. Again, it's Kramer versus Kramer, but body horror. It's it's
0: all right, beautifully stated. Yeah. Um, anything well, else we want to say about the uh, this enigma? Do we uh, want to talk about the pink socks, Do you, Either of y'all have anything? I commented. I, I
1: think it might be just a. I, I was making a joke about pinko communism, but yeah, I really don't know. Uh, it's just an odd choice.
0: I mean, the fact, the fact though, that the pink socks were put right in front of the camera at the end made me think is that, it had some, I don't know. It um, almost pinko. makes me
2: wonder, it, so we think that what he's been doing is working behind the scenes to try to stave off what happens at the end of the movie, which is, we assume, nuclear war. But then it turns out that his handlers is the one of his handlers is the man with the pink socks. So it wonders if it makes me almost wonder if Mark has been like a pawn in this game that he doesn't understand and what they've actually been trying to bring about is mm-hmm.
0: this as Dylan's saying, only a pawn in their game. Yeah. I mean there's so many things going on though. We've yeah have got yeah, imagery yeah. about relationships, about East versus West. The whole international in intrigue
2: stuff, I think it's probably best not to try to read too much into that because it's very they very definitely, obtuse and probably purposefully. So. Right,
0: and he didn't try to develop that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. So, uh, I say we stick a fork in it. Uh, this has been a fun discussion about a really, really cool movie. If you've not seen it, please check it out. It's on Shudder and Shudder is a great streaming service if you're into horror movies it's what five dollars a month come on Something like that. come on I can't believe someone like
2: hasn't tried to remake reboot this thing yeah this, this is a grand this is it. a
1: grand movie it's so good so do check out Possession uh, we're going to wrap up today. Let's, uh, thank our guests, uh, Joey pool, infinity pool. Thank you for uh, being infinity here. Infinity Pool
2: again. I will, uh, I'll try to watch the movie before I see you guys again. And I'll see if I check, if I sign off on that, that, <laughs> that nickname or not.
1: Do you got anything to plug? Uh, not currently.
2: Nope, got good. some things,
1: got some irons in the fire. Maybe next time. Todd, thank you so much for coming back to the show.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank anything, you. Always anything you'd like to plug for us? Uh, no, no plugs at the moment. Um, I was actually trying to, you know, before the show, I was trying to think of some movies to recommend, but I, you know, haven't really necessarily seen any great ones other than, uh, you know, Infinity Pool, as we discussed. Big fan of that. Although, apparently, it's polarizing. A buddy of mine, whose uh, taste usually aligns with mine, texted me and said, God, I just saw Infinity Pool. It sucked. Wow. And, and, all right. And then I sent him the uh, emoji of... uh uh, Lundberg from Office Space, saying, "You know, I'm going to have to disagree with you there." <laughs> <laughs> we had a little debate
1: about it, but anyway, that's a that's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, I want to wish uh, Chelsea well. She's out on assignment, as they say in the media world, unable to join us today, but hopefully she'll be back for our next recording. For me, the uh, the plug would be uh, check out Cocaine Bear.
2: Oh, I might watch that too. I I was planning
1: to see that this week during spring break. Cocaine Bear is silly. It's fun.
0: Uh, The cast is great. The music is by Mark Mothersbaugh of uh, Devo. Oh, I love him. Uh, it's also, a, uh, a big collaborator with uh, Wes Anderson.
1: He is. A, it's a great synth score, and all the music, all the song choices he made were fantastic. This is a. And when I saw Mother's Ball I said, "Oh, okay." And then I saw the executive producers were uh, uh, Lord and Miller. The guys who did Lego Movie, which Mother's Ball did the music for that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, now it's starting to come together. But Elizabeth Banks is the director. This movie cost them $30 million to Really? Produce. Elizabeth Banks? I, didn't, yeah. I did not I uh-huh. know that part. She went out on <laughs> a limb, and I applaud her for it. Uh, $30 million to make. It got $23 million domestically on its first weekend. Wow. Paramount looks like... No, I'm sorry. Is it Paramount or Universal? Universal. Look like geniuses because this movie is going to make it back and then some. Meanwhile, as I predicted, Travisito uh, in our twenty top twenty-two of twenty-two, I said there would be a major flop this year, and it would be Marvel-related. Ant Man had the largest week-to-week plummet from week one to week two of any Marvel movie ever made—seventy percent wow. drop—and is it a flop? In their books, yeah, it's a flop because they probably spend just as much money to promote as they do to make a film. This is their disaster. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the show.
2: Thank God. No no one could see us. Oh, there's a
1: camera over there. There's a camera over there. I've got a face made for radio. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll be on board for some some upcoming episodes that we've got. We've got some crazy ideas for some stuff. We just need to get them recorded. Please follow us on social media. We're at Cinema Chop Shop on everything except for YouTube. It's at Cinema Chop Shop Podcast. And uh, please tell your friends about us. Rate, review, subscribe. And be good to yourself. Take time for yourself. Self-care. Self-care is important. And as always, please remember to watch, chop, retrofit. And uh, don't let Bob drown next time. (laughs)